All right, I want to invite you to find your seats. We'll have time after the service for fellowship and refreshments, bagels and good coffee. So uh, grab your seat. Again, I want to welcome all of you to Crossroads this morning. In case you missed it, my name is Dan Song. I'm the pastor here. And I promise you, we do not have, uh, I know how many heads are on each of us this morning. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think that's probably the number one. But uh, as we get into the Word of God this morning, we've been looking uh, through the book of the Psalms. And uh, the th one thing that we've kept emphasizing is that the book of the Psalms were Israel's hymn book. That they were actually the songs that God's people used to sing, as many churches do, whether you've been in some higher churches where they use hymn books, the Trinity Hymnal or others. Um, this was Israel. They would open it up and they would sing together of who God is and who they are. And it would shape them to love God more and shape their identity to be followers, followers of Yahweh. And uh, we've been going through different things, and one, one of them was, uh, was last week on Psalm 19, on the importance of the Word of God, right? That it is sweeter than honey. It revives the soul, and there's so many other things in our lives that compete for God's Word. And one of the great things I forgot to mention last week was that um, we're going to be opening up discipleship groups soon. And it's a higher commitment. You meet every other week. But one of the things that we're going to incorporate this year is reading God's Word. And so you'll be reading a lot of God's Word and letting it soak in and reading while you're at breakfast, at work, in the evenings, and committing ourselves to be people who not only know God's Word, but love it and fall in love with it. And so today we're going from that to a song of confidence. So I'm going to invite Jack to come up, and Jack's going to be doing the scripture reading this morning for us. So turn your Bibles to Psalm 27. If you don't have uh, uh, your own Bible, we have Bibles provided for you under the chair in front of you. And so go there, and there you can find it on page 460. Um, and there uh, our brother Jack will read Psalm 27 for us this morning. my light my salvation whom shall I fear the Lord is a stronghold of my life of whom shall I be afraid when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh my adversaries and foes it is they who stumble and fall though an army encamp against me my heart shall not fear Though war arise against me yet I will be confident one thing I have asked of the Lord that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up and above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with, with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. 
O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word. That, Lord, it is useful for teaching, rebuking, training up in righteousness to encourage us. And in this time, Father, we know that even as we just read this psalm, there is much that can discourage us. There's much that could dis- cause us dismay and worry and anxiety. And there's also many things that give us confidence where we put our faith and trust in. But Lord, I pray that as we look at this psalm, that we would set our eyes upon you, the giver of life, the one who is our light, our salvation, and our stronghold. May you give us that hope this morning as we think about the fears and the calamities and the struggles that we face. Encourage us, we pray, all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Knowing that today was family worship and all the kids were going to be with us this morning, I decided to ask my middle child, Renee, what gives you confidence in the midst of circumstances and the things you do? And she answered with a question. And she said, what is confidence? (laughs) I said, great question. I just assumed. What is confidence? Confidence, I paused, and I said, it's basically putting like your hope and your faith and trust in something or someone, even when you're afraid. And as I said that, I didn't realize that my youngest daughter, Nora was in the other room and ran from the kitchen and goes, oh, I know, I know, I know. Like last week when I was afraid to swim and I learned, I said, exactly. How many of us children don't know how to swim yet? It's okay. Oh, whoa, I know. It's a struggle. The struggle is real. My youngest daughter still doesn't know how to swim. And we were at the J last week and... It happened that the Rosettis, who's also a part of our church, were there, and Joe would have been an Olympic swimmer had it not been for an injury, and he happened to be there, so I said, like, how do I get my daughter to learn how to swim? He said, well, take one of those toys, right, those, those devices that sink to the bottom, and just grow her confidence little by little. Start at the first step, and so we did, and she plunged her head into the water to pick up that stick, Then we just gradually... One by one, went step by step until she hit the floor of the pool. Why? Because she was growing and building her confidence so that she would finally get rid of the fear of sinking, of drowning, of swallowing water. Now, what was the question? The question, though, is what was her confidence in? Was it in Mr. Joe Rossetti? No, she didn't care. Was it in me? No, because she was still deathly afraid. What she found her confidence in was her goggles and in her nose plug. 
as long as those two things were securely fastened to her face, she was able to go and plunge her face into the water. But there was this one time when we were doing it, she forgot to put on her nose plug. And as soon as she went in, she came out bursting, crying, and spitting out all of this water. And what happened to her confidence? It plummeted. And this morning, I think for us, is where do we find our confidence in the midst of struggle, in the midst of our fear, in the midst of warfare, in the midst of real tragedy and difficulty? Where do we find our confidence? And here, David this morning finds his confidence in God, only in the Lord. That is where he's able to lift up his head. And even in the midst of real deep trials and struggles, <coughs> excuse me, he's able to have hope and confidence and trust. And that's what I want to look at this morning is, are three things that I didn't have time. I thought I did, but I guess I forgot to transfer it over. Three points where we could find our confidence in the Lord. First, in war. Secondly, in worship, and then lastly, in weakness. So as we put our confidence in the Lord, we learn things through warfare, through worship, and through weakness. So let's look at the first point, in war. If you read these first three verses, especially the first, uh, the second and the third, look at what we realize. Confidence does not rise up in the absence of, of conflict and war. In actuality, we see that it's actually in the midst of war, in the midst of calamity, that he is able to have confidence. Look at this. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. And then look at verse 3. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, I will be confident. And then verse 10, if you jump to verse 10, he doesn't go from some external circumstances. This is internal circumstances. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. I mean, that is probably one of the worst fears that we have, that our own parents would forsake us and abandon us. And both, in both situations, both external and internal, <coughs> David is able to have confidence in God. You see, confidence comes when we know that there is something or someone that is greater, greater than the circumstances in our lives. And David is able to confess his confidence in God. He says, the Lord is my light. He is my salvation. He is my stronghold. Now take that word light for a moment. How is light, that God is my light, hopeful? And how does that build confidence? Recently, we all know of what happened with the Thai soccer team, right? The wild boars. This was 12 young boys, ages 6 through 12. And their coach, a 25-year-old coach, after having soccer practice, decided to go to this one infamous cave, because some of the boys had never been in this cave. And so while they went into this cave for about an hour, and they were trying to make their way back to the entrance, they realized they couldn't make it, right? 
all this water and the monsoon that had collected had basically entrapped them inside the cave where they couldn't come back out. And so what did the, the, the uh, coach do? He said, let's find some higher ground. And they said, well, and he hoped that the water would reside after 24 hours and they'd be able, be able to make their way back out of the cave. But it was in the middle of the night where he heard more water start rushing in. And so he told all the boys to start digging, start digging to find another way out of this cave, which inevitably over nine or ten days, they found themselves two or three miles further into the cave without any hope. And he kept telling his young boys, we need to trust and have confidence that someone will find us. Well, guess what happened on day 10? As these 12 boys and their soccer coach were huddled up in this tiny little patch of dirt, as high as they could get from the water. Where was their hope? A flashlight. This flashlight, if you watch the video, shine upon the 12 boys. And it's in that moment when that flashlight shines upon them, they have hope. Why? Because they've been rescued. And here in that same way, our God is that light who gives us hope, no matter the circumstances in war, external or internal, that light is our hope. He is the one who also directs our path, that even in the midst of absolute horrible situations, health, struggles at work, maybe you actually have real enemies that are against you and against our God. Or it could be that sense of abandonment from your own family and friends. God is our light. He's our salvation. He is our refuge, our stronghold. And that is why it's not in the absence of war and conflict. It's actually in the midst of it. But because of who God is, that he is our light, our salvation, our refuge, we can actually have confidence because he will deliver us. But it's also, we learn about having confidence in God actually in worship. In verses 4 through 6, we find this beautiful, this beautiful song that David pens when he says, One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after. And what is it? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord. That I may dwell in his house. You know what's so fascinating about what he asks for? What do we do in the midst of trouble, in the midst of crisis, in the midst of war? We ask God, the one thing I ask is that those circumstances would be removed, right? Lord, get rid of my enemies. Lord, heal me from my illness. Lord, may my, my relationship with whoever it might be be restored. We ask for circumstances to be changed, but yet here David, in the midst of absolute conflict and war, what does he do? He doesn't ask for a situation to be changed. Rather, he asks for God to draw near to him. Or rather, he, drew, he wants to be nearer to God than he has ever been before. Have you ever prayed that? Have you ever prayed in the midst of real hard situations, God, 
One thing I ask, that I may dwell in your house to gaze upon your face. Even for myself, that's not what I ask. That's my, not my default. My default is, Lord, get me out of this situation. Help me. This past week, um, it was a crazy week. We have one daughter with UTI and then another daughter who got this stomach bug. Well, our, the one daughter that got the stomach bug, she comes in the middle of the night and plops herself right into our bed, just screaming and crying that her stomach feels like it's in knots. And she ends up throwing up three times that night. But what was so fascinating in that night, while she was writhing in pain, wasn't asking God or whoever to like get rid of this pain or even asking for medicine. She never asked for medicine. All she wanted was her mom and her dad. She wanted to curl up next to us because for her, that was the place of refuge and safety. That was a place of comfort. That even though she was wrestling with that kind of stomach bug, more than wanting to be healed, more than her situation being changed, she just wanted to be with her mom and her dad. And I think in a lot of ways, isn't that so true for us? If we really dig deep, what we want is to be nearer to whoever we place our trust in. But in our trust, we see that God is absolutely faithful. He does not change. He is our refuge. He is our stronghold. And it's when we come near to him, that is where we will understand on our perspective changes. And our hearts are drawn near to the one who is our creator. It's so fascinating for me that for him, this is where he finds it, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You know, think about this for a moment. Whether you work, whether you go to school, or maybe you're a stay-at-home parent. You know, think about the narrative or the constant pressure that we face. I think as we walk our lives Monday through Friday and Saturday, the constant narrative that we always hear is that we need to measure up, make more money, retire early, be successful, be perfect. At school, it's the narrative that you need to get the best grades, you need to be involved in every single extracurricular activity, you need to play three different instruments for you to get into the best schools after high school. For others, for stay-at-home parents, it's when you hang out with other moms or dads, and it's always feeling like you never do enough for your child. You're not taking them enough to enough of these different activities. You're not measuring up to everyone else and you're lazy. And the narrative that we hear and we're always inundated with is you need to do more and more and more so you could be more successful. You could be, you could measure up to the next person in line. This idea, this liturgy that we continue to hear of be more greedy. Run the other person over so that you could get to the top. I mean, whether we believe it or not, that is what always 
is at force every single day of our lives, Monday through Saturday. And what does that do for us who follow Christ? Where we're trying to place our identity in the one who loves us. That is not about our works or our perfection or how much money we have or how early we retire or how great of a parent we are or how good of a student you are. But doesn't that kill you and destroy you? You're being battered and you come Sunday morning with a limp, forgetting who you are in Christ. And that's why I think David comes to this moment and says, that is the one thing I seek. That as I'm being battered at work, at home, as the pressure, the constant pressure of measuring up and finding my identity in my work or my school or my friendships or relationships, we come, home, we come to this worship and we're able to gaze our eyes upon the Lord and know that it is in Him we find our delight. That even at the worst, even Him knowing the worst of us, love is still offered. It is the sweetest, most beautiful thing that we could ever desire in the world. And here, David gets it. One commentator said this, there is something to be said for the sheer physical singing of the hymns, the sitting in the pews, the actual looking to the pulpit and gazing on the Bible as it is expounded, the tasting of the sacrament that we're going to do soon, the very atmosphere of the place set apart for the worship of God that is spiritually beneficial. What I'm suggesting is that the actual physical worship of God in the company of other believers can be almost sacramental. See, there's something different that happens when we gather together that we cannot experience outside of Sunday morning. It's almost sacramental. And that's what David gets at. He gazes upon the beauty of Christ, God's face and he inquires and he wants to dwell in the house of the Lord forever in the midst of the circumstances and there he finds confidence. And that's why I want to emphasize the importance of this that he meets us here and we find our confidence and are reminded of who we are in Christ. But there's a third thing here that we learn of in our confidence in God, and it's in our weaknesses. It's in weakness that we find confidence. You see this kind of weird thing happen if you weren't paying attention. Verse 1 through 6 is just David talking about how he puts his confidence in God no matter the circumstances or the war that he's, he's facing. But then starting in verse 7, it almost sounds like a lament that we went through in Psalm 3 and 13. You hear this verb, this, these words, hear, O Lord, when I cry. Um, hide not, verse 9, hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. You see, it's almost like a lament. And what I think is happening here is that even in weakness, even in desperation, we can actually have confidence in God. It's not one or the other, but we hold those things in tension. It's all in the same space. 
that our desperation and our confidence go hand in hand. Namely, a space which does not repress our current encounters with God's enemies, our current struggles with sin and death, but rather it brings them before the face of God to experience both joy and lament. Isn't that so true when you think about our lives? It's not like I experience joy and confidence and hope when things are good, and then I experience joy or lament and pain and suffering when things are horrible. No, when you think about our lives every single week, it's mixed. They go hand in hand. But I think the problem for us is like, is I, I appreciate what John said. It wasn't even, we didn't plan on this. But when we talked about perfection, we think we have to come with everything in tow. Our lives perfect, our children looking great. When people ask how I'm doing, everything's fine. I mean, that is kind of who we are at Crossroads. Most of us are professionals, upper middle class. And to show any weakness is a sign of vulnerability and that's something negative. You know, I've heard even people say like, Dan, are you being a little too vulnerable? Like, where is that line? And what I say is, in a congregation like this, I'm going to actually be more vulnerable than not. Because we need to learn what weakness looks like. But maybe in a different kind of church setting, if I was, if I was pastoring a church where it looked different, then maybe I'm not because I want to lift them up to a place where, no, God has called us to live without sin. He is sanctifying us. But for us, as I think about our congregation and what we struggle with, it's thinking that we need to have our stuff together. But it's acknowledging that I am weak. I am in a place of absolute brokenness, and yet I can still have faith in the Lord and trust and confidence because He is greater than I. He is more beautiful than I. 2 Corinthians 12, 9-10, as Paul writes, he said, this is Paul speaking of what God says to him. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So how does, what does Paul conclude? Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content. Listen, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, isn't that the gospel? The gospel story is imbibed with weakness and foolishness. It was Christ who goes to the cross. One commentator said, it is indeed difficult to explain why at the heart of the Christian narrative there is a child why God would answer the dark silence of 400 years with the cry of a displaced and homeless infant. Why God would take on the weakness of humanity in an attempt to reach humanity with power, dying as the Messiah. Most of us would know better than to create or to perpetuate a story so foolish. However beautiful, the story of Christ is difficult to explain. That is, unless it was not crafted with human wisdom at all. It is the foolishness of man but the wisdom of God. It is in weakness that we see who Christ is. And this is where I want to conclude. How do we respond then? What do we do? Well, we see it in the last verse of this passage. Read this with me. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. 
Isn't that so ironic? That how we have confidence in the Lord that He is our light and He will deliver is to wait. But it's not this passive waiting. It's this active waiting, right? It's this active waiting of what we just talked about. That in the midst of our conflict that we go to the Lord, we seek His face in the temple, and we inquire and we gaze upon His beauty. It's in the midst of our weakness that we are proactive of sharing our weaknesses so that brothers and sisters in the body of Christ could support us and remind us of the gospel. It's this active waiting. And it's in that active waiting that God meets us wherever we are at. I shared the story about the Thai soccer team, right? And in this soccer, Thai soccer team, you know what was so amazing? Ten days they're alone in this dark cave. But it took them actually 19 days to finally have everyone get out of this cave. 19 days. It almost, they, they basically waited another double the time to be able to finally be rescued. Can you imagine the waiting they went through for 19 days? First, having hope that they finally found them with that flashlight, being that light. But you know what ultimately was their waiting that gave them so much hope? The Navy, or the SEAL team for Thai's Navy, along with the physician, waited with them for all nine days while every single boy and the coach remained in that cave. They played, check, they played chess. One of the Thai Navy SEALs was called the king of chess. The doctor and the last Navy were the last to leave the cave. And as I read that, I thought, isn't that the gospel story? As we wait in the midst of our own caves, in the midst of our own warfare and trouble, we don't just wait alone. Christ waits with us. He is our light. He is our salvation. He is, he is our stronghold. And how did he ultimately show that? He showed it on the cross. Out of his absolute dear love for us. And that's why we need this table, brothers and sisters. As we wait, as we are called to wait, we get to wait actively as we participate at the table. As we look back at our baptism. This wasn't just to participate and look at Monica's baptism. It's to remember our own and know that God has been faithful in every single way of your life. To be able to come and feast and to remember what God has done, to expound on God's word, to be together in fellowship. These are the ways we wait together because Christ is with us through it all. As he died for us, as he shed his blood, as his body was broken. We know if he's willing to go to the utmost suffering and death for us, how would he not comfort us, care for us, love us in the midst of our hardships? May that be our hope and our confidence this morning. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you for our Savior, the one who does not call us to wait alone, but who sits by us, stands by us, embraces us, and will never forsake us or abandon us. We thank you for Jesus.
who showed it ultimately at the cross. So, Father, I pray as we come and eat and dine at the table this morning, may you not only remind us, but strengthen us. Give us the strength we need to be able to wait upon the Lord. Give us the courage we need to show our weaknesses. Give us the hope we need to be able to come into the house of the Lord, to gaze upon your face, and know, Lord, that that is enough for us today and this week. We ask that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to the table this morning, we are reminded of what Christ has done for you and for me. I'm going to institute what Christ did for us on the night that he was betrayed. He took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. said, this is my body, broken for you. Take and eat, and do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took out the cup and said, this is the new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sin. For as long as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you show forth the Lord's death until he returns. Brothers and sisters, is this not the greatest example of how he is with us in the waiting? He wants to feed you. And not only feed you, he wants to feast with us. And it will be mostly experienced to the highest maximum joy and beauty when Christ returns, when all of us as God's people feast together without tears, without lament, without pain or suffering. We will be able to rejoice in what Christ has done for you and for me here at the table as we look to the future. May this be your hope this morning. May your confidence grow, not only in your love for him, but in his deliverance for you. Brothers and sisters, come and eat. Hold both, and we'll take it together, signifying our unity in the body of Christ. If you need a gluten-free option, just let the ushers know we have that for you. And lastly, if you can't have wine, there's grape juice on the outer ring of each of these plates that will be handed out. If you're not a follower of Christ, um, I know that all of us, all of, our, all of our defaults is to find our confidence in something. It might not be a nose plug, but it might be in your parents and friendships and your work. I hope that you might be able to know and confess that nothing in this world will be able to satisfy. Things come and go, but our God stands forever, and he loves you. He wants you to be able to seek his face because he's seeking yours this morning. If you're ready to do that, then come to the table and eat. But if you can't, let these elements pass by you. There's no shame in that. I don't want you to do something that you can't do just yet. Uh, but continue to come. I'm so glad that you guys come each week. Uh, talk to us. Uh, inquire. Uh, but one day, my prayer, and I know the prayers of many here, is that you'd be able to put your confidence in him alone. Let's pass the elements, let's sing this song as we do, and we'll take it together as we rejoice in our God. <laughs>